0: You're listening to Monocle's House View, first broadcast on the 2nd of October 2019 on Monocle 24.
1: This is Monocle's House View, coming up today... It actually suggests it's escalating, it's actually not dying down, and they're perhaps choosing a momentous days when the eyes of the world will be on China to show another side.
0: Today's news panel, Linda Yu and Mary Dijewski, will discuss the latest violence in Hong Kong and evaluate the reaction from Beijing. We will also debate the latest bizarre statements from US President Donald Trump and what they might mean for his impeachment fight, and we'll take a look at a fake news law in Singapore. Plus, a referendum in Venice that could see the city sliced up. I'm Andrew Muller. Monocle's House View starts now. Welcome to the show. I'm joined, first of all, by Mary Dijewski, columnist for The Independent and The Guardian, and Linda Yu, economist and broadcaster and author of The Great Economists. We'll start with Hong Kong, whose pro-democracy protesters were clearly not unaware of the significance of yesterday's date. October 1st was the 70th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China. The triumphal parades on the mainland, however, attracted rather less coverage than the less orderly events in Hong Kong. The city's police chief estimated a as one of Hong Kong's most violent and chaotic days yet. At least 100 people were hospitalised, including 25 police officers. And one teenage protester, a Chang Chi Kin, was wounded by a live round fired by police. He is reported to be in a stable condition. Um, Linda, first of all, how annoyed will Beijing be to have been upstaged on its big day?
1: Well, I think the uh, the timing probably wasn't coincidental. I mean, the protesters have been protesting for some time, but um, they'd be aware of all of the, um, you know, there's a lot of pageantry to celebrate mm. National Day um, in China. Um, so I think what this is probably showing is that this this, these protests, which have now gone on for weeks and months, is weeks, nowhere... Weekend 17, I yeah. think, we're coming up to, if I'm counting that right. Yeah. So it just it actually suggests it's escalating. It's actually not dying down. And they're perhaps choosing uh, momentous days when the eyes of the world will be on China um, to show another side um, that was that is clearly what um they would they would like the rest of the world's media the rest of the world's leaders to see which is a china which is not um you know, adhering to, in their view, um, the one country, two systems, the, the kinds of um, worries they have um, over the um, extradition law. That was the, if you remember way back 17 weeks ago, that was actually the cause of this set of protests. But this set of protests comes on, on the back of the umbrella protests. So this has been going really for years under the surface.
0: Well Mary on that thought there was an amount of surprise and bewilderment during the umbrella protests of 2014 um, that Beijing were as i mean patience maybe not the right word but that they let it go on as long as they did given Beijing's general lack of enthusiasm for large scale public protest and and that has been the same case here there's been an amount of bemusement Uh, that Beijing have seemed seemed willing to wait it out uh, in a way that they obviously would not were this occurring in Guangzhou or Shanghai, uh, heaven forfend Beijing. Uh, Do you get the sense that Beijing is still willing to just let this run its course, whatever that may be?
2: Well, I think they might have um, gauged the 1st of October as being a particular date Mm. because that was, in a way, an invitation for Hong Kong to protest um and it, it has
0: always seemed like a peak that this was building yes, towards.
2: And that if it turns out that after the first of October then things maybe start to calm down, start to peter out a bit. Um and it turns out that the anniversary of the founding of Communist China was indeed, you know, it was an invitation to protest, it was the high point of the Hong Kong protest, and after that things will quieten down a bit, then in a way, um, China's gamble may turn out to have paid off, but... If those protests continue, and if they increase, as Linda suggested that they could do, then I think we're in new territory. I mean, it presents a huge dilemma for China, um, because on the one hand, they don't want scenes such as Tiananmen Square all over the global media. Um, which, which now, now, now they would Hong- be. There, there, there's exactly. no
0: there's no covering that up anymore. No,
2: now applied to Hong Kong. Um, and there's also, to a lesser extent than there would have been, say, five years ago, um or even 10 15 years ago the the the, 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 the there is still to an extent Um, a problem of China maybe um, killing the golden egg um, because, or killing the hen that lays the golden egg, because Hong Kong is less important to China's overall economy than it used to be, but it's still important. Um, And sending a particular message that the use of force in any form would do, I think that is a big problem for China. But can it afford to let Hong Kong run out of control?
0: On that subject of the use of force, Linda, there was that significant moment yesterday. They weren't the first live rounds fired by police during these protests, but this is the first time that we know of that a protester has been struck by one. Mercifully, it does sound from current reports that uh, the kid concerned is going to be okay, but how significant a moment is that uh, within hong kong because apart from anything else of course one of the british traditions with which hong kong had got used to living was a kind of a british idea of policing this is this is not the kind of way that people have been accustomed to hong kong's police behaving
1: mm-hmm. I think it's very worrying um, that live ammunition is used at all um, in these protests. I think this is one of the, you know, there are other ways of controlling the crowd. They've used blue dye and water. Obviously, there's also, you know, I mean, this. The, I come back to the escalation. I think you know, it looks like um, the escalation of these protests is very worrying because mm. what it's suggesting is that, um, you know, I think, China has a real dilemma. Um, Hong Kong is an international open city, and they will be judged based on how they treat um, these protests.
0: This really is putting one country, two systems to the test, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So this is very much unlike things that might happen on the mainland. Um, Hong Kong has open communications with you know, the rest of the world. And I think this is why... Um, you know, if they allowed the umbrella protest to just run it, to, to run, and then it eventually petered out, it took quite a long time, mm. I can see them doing the same thing here because it's not in their interest to, um, to escalate it any further than um, what was a very significant uh, moment yesterday. But on the other hand, um, I think, you know, there will come a point where they will be worried about the operational, you know, effectiveness of Hong Kong. If you can't get around the airport or the roads or that, what have you. So, I think you know my take on it is that um, they won't escalate further if they think that they can keep it just petering out, and we simply see this wave die down. But I would say that even if it does, it'll just come back again um, in a few years' time or even a few months' time when there's another trigger, because the underlying tension is around a Hong Kong society that believed they had a different system to mainland China for 50 years, and we're only about 22 years into that system, and they're not, um, they're not going to be letting go of this issue.
0: Uh, Mary, does Hong Kong's government have any options for de-escalation then really left to it? Carrie Lam, uh, Hong Kong's chief executive, has already announced that the bill which initially sparked this off, which would have allowed extradition of criminal suspects to the Chinese mainland, um, is is dead, buried, an ex-bill, it has ceased to be, etc. But that obviously uh, hasn't persuaded anybody to get off the streets. They're now talking in terms of things like universal suffrage, like proper elections to the Hong Kong, Legislative Council as the rest of the world would recognise them. Is there the remotest danger uh, of that demand being met?
2: I think it's very, very difficult. I mean, we were talking about the dilemma for Beijing. Well, there's an equal and opposite dilemma for Hong Kong because time was um, under... British rule, when there was a sort of acceptance that, yes, at times there were protests, but there, was, th- there wasn't there was democracy under British rule. But Indeed there not. Was, there was a certain sort of acceptance of sort of moderation. Um, and it seems to me that in the last 20 years, you've got a new generation that really either has no understanding or no acceptance that... Um, the solution that they've got, or at least they had until a few months ago, um, is probably as good as it's going to get in Hong Kong. Now, you know, I'm very sorry about that, Um, because obviously that's not what you, you know, for somebody like me coming from you know a democratic country in the Western world to say, well, I'm sorry, maybe you're going to have to settle for something less than that. But... To be realistic about it, look at the power that Hong, that, that that China wields, as against Hong Kong, and it doesn't seem to me that, at least at the moment, there is any way that the protesters can win. If what they're after is universal suffrage, Western-style democracy, um, human rights, um, that is not going to happen. Um, now, it may be that in 20 years, you're going to be looking at these sort of protests and these sort of political demands in many parts of China. But you're not seeing that at the moment. And I think until you start seeing that, then it's very difficult to see how the protests in Hong Kong can go beyond um, the end of the extradition bill.
0: Linda Yu and Mary Dijewski will be back with you both in just a moment.
3: But first, Monocle's Daniel Bache with some of the other stories we're following today. Thank you, Andrew. In Washington, the House of Representatives has threatened to subpoena the White House if it did not comply with requests for documents related to Donald Trump's attempts to pressure Ukraine into investigating Joe Biden and his son. They've also asked for records relating to the Trump administration's attempts to conceal the president's action. The White House has been given a Friday deadline in the latest twist in the impeachment inquiry. The US has been granted approval to impose $7.5 billion in tariffs on goods it imports from the European Union. This is just the latest drama in a fight between the EU and US, which has lasted 15 years over illegal subsidies for plane makers Airbus and rival Boeing. The tariffs could affect aircraft parts coming in from the EU, which would raise prices for Airbus. Brussels has called the move to impose the tariffs counterproductive. The UK's Prime Minister Boris Johnson says his government's final Brexit proposals will include custom checks on the island of Ireland. Johnson added that the new proposals would now be submitted to the European Union. The European Commission says it will examine the proposals objectively. Reports suggest that North Korea has fired a ballistic missile from a submarine. It comes just hours after Pyongyang said it would resume nuclear talks with Washington. South Korean officials say the missile reached an altitude of almost a 1,000 kilometers before landing in the Sea of Japan. And finally, the Monocle Minute reports on the annual UBS Global Real Estate Bubble Index, which has rated Munich as the city most vulnerable to a property bubble. It echoes some of the concerns raised in Monocle's quality of life survey. For more on this story, head over to monocle.com minute. Those are some of the day's news headlines. Now back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Daniel. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Andrew Muller
0: here with Mary Dajewski and Linda Yu. Let's now look at the United States, where the last 24 hours or so have furnished further insights into the thinking of President Donald Trump on a number of fronts. A new book by two New York Times journalists, Julie Davis and Michael Shear, includes recollections from White House officials that President Trump's ambitions for the Mexican border included a moat populated by snakes and/or alligators. Trump. Means Meanwhile, is continuing to flail about the whistleblower, an unnamed CIA officer who raised the alarm about Trump's deeply weird dealings with the new president of Ukraine. Um, Linda, Trump's statements and his proxy statements about the whistleblower and whistleblower rules are all demonstrably and provably flat wrong, um, which they may or may not know. But is, is, the, is this just their usual uh, shoot the messenger chaff flinging?
1: I think it's certainly that. I think um, what we have now is it looks like um, a majority of the House of Representatives who have indicated that they would vote for impeachment. And I think all of the um, pushback is to try and, well, as you say, create diversion, change the issue, discredit um, the whistleblower. But I think the you know what President Trump is clearly very worried about is that. Um, you know, impeachments always have this political tinge. I think we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't pretend otherwise. It's no, of not course. Just, it's, uh, it's, it's,
0: I mean, this is a, a truism of American politics that impeachment is, well, the, the threshold for impeachment is whatever the House of Representatives decides it is.
1: Yeah. And if it goes to um the senate which on current readings it it um it would because you have a majority of the house representing it um the likelihood of the senate convicting the president and imp- as an impeaching the trials in the senate for the senate to remove the president which is the final part of impeachment would require republicans to change sides and to join the democrats so i think you know, obviously, President Trump and his advisers don't want to get to that point where he is impeached. Um, it's unlikely he'll be removed from office with the current Senate. But you know, all presidents have their eye on history, and well. The well. other president that was <laughs> impeached recent memory is Bill Clinton, who was impeached by the House and acquitted by the Senate. And then people like to point to the fact that he went on to have uh, very high approval ratings when he left office, and it worked for his for him politically. Um, and I suppose that's the kind of positive spin you'd put on it. But I can't think of a single occupant of the Oval Office or anyone in the administration who may have been part of the advisory group around all of this, um, wanting to be associated with uh, a president who has been. Um, impeached going down in history like that. So I think that's what all of this is about.
0: One would hope not, certainly. Um, Mary, to return to Trump's um, fury about this whistleblower, which which has been considerable and picturesque even by his standards – how significant is it that he's had actual pushback in public from the Intelligence Community Inspector General, Michael Atkinson, not usually a public figure, as, as spooks generally prefer not to be, uh, but he issued a statement, um, the ICIG reviewed the information provided as well as other information gathered and determined that the complaint was both urgent and that it appeared credible. Um, that does sound fairly damning as responses go, doesn't it?
2: Well, it does, but if you were sitting in the White House um, and you were President Trump, you might may- might well regard it as the continuation of basically a war that he's been waging um, with the intelligence services. This is his deep, his, his
0: deep state are out to get me narrative.
2: Yes, ever since he came to office um, and he has felt that the CIA and intelligence services generally um, have been against him and tried to stop his election and were to an extent implicated in the whole Russiagate thing which ruined his, his first two years in office. Um, I think think if we if, if we get on to the the, the the question of impeachment, I mean, my um, hesitation about that is that yes, it may very well go through the um, the House of Representatives and come to the same conclusion uh, as Bill Clinton's did in the Senate, um, but the the thing is that. It seems to me they're going to run out – his opponents are going to run out of time. It doesn't seem to me that they've got enough time before the next election to run this through both both houses of Congress. And when you look at how it worked with Bill Clinton – and I was um, correspondent in Washington at that time – the whole impeachment thing is a huge distraction from everything else, not just for the president who's in office, um, but also for, for 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 Congress and for everybody who is opposing the president. So it doesn't necessarily. It's, it's what the Americans do favor. instead of Brexit. You can say that. <laughs> and I was reminded that when when you when you were doing the interview about Boris Johnson and uh, uh, and the Conservative Party, that I mean this whole thing with impeachment in a way, plays into Trump's hands in exactly the same way as what's happening in the UK now potentially could play into Boris Johnson's hands, that it's the president in his case and the people against the establishment. And I don't think um, talk of CIO whistleblower actually um, works necessarily to Donald Trump's detriment on this.
0: That may be the case, but, Linda, I do wonder that... and, And Donald Trump... His rhetoric towards intelligence community in recent days has been extraordinary, making very thinly veiled, uh, wistful reference to to days when when spies were regarded as as you know treasonous parasites and and executed uh, for that reason. But if you are Donald Trump, um, and I'm asking you to try and inhabit his internal processes at this point, for which apologies in advance. But you have that large cupboard that he has um, amply stocked with skeletons, which. Did you pick a fight with the CIA of all people?
1: <laughs> um, so y- because you're asking me to think like <laughs> President Trump, <laughs> um, I- I'm going I'm to say that um, one of the things about President Trump is actually his unpredictability. So you might think... Um, you might think, Andrew, <laughs> that I wouldn't pick a fight with the people who know where all the bodies are buried, which is literally the case sometimes with the history of the Indeed CIA. So. Um, but President Trump has been quite unorthodox, I think. He tends to be... Is, 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 is one way of putting it, <laughs> certainly. I think he, um, I, well... I think for him, it's the issue of the moment. I think he tends to react to the issues, and I think he's actually, in many ways, um, very frank. This is is what he thinks of it. He doesn't necessarily maybe game out all the rest of the scenarios. And as I said, you know, before, the legacy you're standing in history is what every president thinks about. They think about. I
0: think other presidents might have read some. (laughs) <laughs> this, 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 this one I'm not sure about. That, that's what I wonder. Um, we will move on, finally, uh, on a sem- semi-related note uh, to Singapore, which has ushered the Trumpian coinage of fake news onto the statute books. A new law awards Singapore's government the power to compel social media platforms to flag or remove postings that the authorities deem false. Posts deemed malicious in Singapore's direction could now earn you ten years in the clink. Um Mary, we should acknowledge, of course, that it is not altogether unheard of. For bogus information to appear on the internet, it it, it it does happen. There are wrong things on the internet. Um, is this the way to deal with it? However,
2: well, I think it's a very potentially it's a very dangerous way to deal with it because it basically puts the um, the political authorities, the government, in a state which it has to be said is not a democratic state. Um, not really. Above no. all other sources of um, sources of information, so I think it gives them a huge amount of control. At the same time, I would. I I would say that from my personal perspective, I think the whole issue of fake news has been blown out of absolutely all proportion. And it's not a question only of whether there is fake news however you define that out there it's what effect it has and every survey every piece of research that i have seen so far says that your members of your general public internet users and everybody else are actually much more savvy at dealing with this sort of stuff um than um the than everybody else seems to think they are so i think that that suggests that what is happening in singapore is actually not necessary
0: um, is this, uh, Linda, just another example of Singapore's fairly... I mean, it, it is, as Mary correctly points out, not really a democracy in any meaningful sense. It, is, is this just the straightforward authoritarianism on which Singapore has been built being applied to social media?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's a very much a controlling state. You know, you may, you may joke about chewing gum, but I wouldn't suggest it <laughs> in public <laughs> in Singapore. Um, but, I mean, you know, it's... Singapore in the economic literature is described as a soft authoritarian state. So doing something like this would be in line with government wanting to exert control. Um, Mm. And, you know, and one of the difficulties, I think, is that... um, There will be, there is, for instance, in the United States, a huge amount of concern over the, uh, you know, fake news, propaganda, use of algorithms, promotion, targeting, all the kinds of things that we have all heard about. The question is, what is the best way to deal with it? And the answer there isn't that apparent. And so I agree with Mary. I think putting in the hands of the political authorities to deem what is fake and what needs to be removed um, is problematic when the country isn't really democratic. Um, But within a System like Singapore, it's hard to see what other bodies would exist to to do that. Of course, they do have, um, you know, uh, media. But is the is there is there enough of a critical mass of the media um, to do what is being suggested in the United States, which is to have some type of, you know, voluntary body that becomes an adjudicator um, in a sense? Because sure, I think we can generally speaking process. Um, you know, we can get to the. We can get to the truth of a lot of stories, some of which, you know, clearly isn't, um, you know, Aliens in Area 51, although I'm not going to put my finger definitely on that point to say that's not the case. But what I mean is... What, what, extent... what do you
0: know, Linda, about
1: Aliens in yeah, Area 51? Really just from Wex Files. Uh, but I think the, uh, you know, but the point is, you know, in, in you know, until there's, there's almost a way of resolving um, the influence of fake news or propaganda... Um, a way of dealing with it, which actually protects those in society, um, you know, I think. Um, And I don't know what the answer to this is. I can see the need, but I don't know the answer. And I'm not sure, again, allowing Facebook or the social media sites to do it themselves. I'm not sure that is um, necessarily um, the case either. But of course, in this country, um, you do have... um, You know, you do have independent authorities you can appeal to in terms of the news. So that may be the way forward. But we're far, far from having that kind of institution for social media and certainly not in Singapore.
0: Linda Yu and Mary Dijewski, thank you both. In a moment, a view from our editorial floor on why it is a mistake to split up Venice despite its myriad woes. You're listening to Monocle's House View. Do stay tuned. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Andrew Muller. And finally today, Monocle's Josh Fennett takes a look at how a proposed referendum on Venice could see the city sliced up.
4: Venice has always been divided from the rest of Italy, once by a millennium of independence, but today just by a stretch of salty lagoon. Now a vote on the 1st of December will decide whether the city's eastern reaches, the hundred or so scattered islands you see on postcards, or from cruise ship portholes, should be governed separately from Mainland Mestri, a rough and ready post-industrial port. The friction isn't new. The islands were only united with Mestri under fascism in 1926 and today, some say, the two sides of the city have little in common. But Venice Mayor Luigi Brugnaro, who's in favour of keeping the city together, is right to condemn this argument. Breaking up alliances promises quick fixes but, as we're seeing with the environmental crisis, trade wars and the redrawing of treaties, smashing ties doesn't stop the rot. In fact, it usually diminishes the resources needed to deal with the issues at hand. Venice's historic centre is buckling with over-tourism and a dwindling population, however. A thousand Venetians leave every day and at least half of the population is aged over 65. A vote to split the historic city, however, would likely accelerate its decline and diminish its resources to fight the blight. It might also hamper Mestre's chance to cash in on its island cousin's 20 million visitors a year. A lose-lose scenario, if you ask me. For Monocle, I'm Josh Fennett.
0: Thank you, Josh. That was Josh Fennett. That is all for today's show. Monocle's House View was produced by Daniel Beach. Our studio managers were Louis Allen and David Stevens. Coming up at twenty hundred, Daniel is back with a brand-new edition of The Entrepreneurs. Monocle's House View returns at eighteen hundred London time tomorrow. I'm Andrew Muller. Thanks for listening.